in this final podcast of lecture six, we're going to look at remedies under the charter. What does the court do when it finds legislation or a section of legislation infringes the charter? And what can it do when it finds state action infringes the charter? The general remedies provision is section 52 for declarations of invalidity. This is the section that says that laws inconsistent with the Constitution, including the Charter, will be of no force and effect. There's also Section 24.1 of the Charter, which grants the court the right to issue such relief as is appropriate and just in the circumstances. That's the provision that comes into play when you have state action. It's not necessarily legislation being unconstitutional, but the state does something to somebody that infringes their charter rights. And then the court has fairly broad discretion to craft a remedy. There's also section 24.2, which deals with the exclusion of evidence that's been obtained in violation of the charter. We won't get into that in detail in this course at all, but that is a major focus of your criminal law course. And I'll get to section 24.1 at the end of this podcast, but I want to start by talking about what do you do with legislation or a section of legislation that is found to be unconstitutional? Do you have to just strike it down and be done, or is there more to it than that? And the case we have, the first case we have is Schachter in Canada. And this is a case where the Unemployment Insurance Act gave 15 weeks of benefits to biological mothers or adoptive parents, but not biological fathers. And so there is a charter challenge to equality that was successful, brought by fathers who wished that they could also take advantage of this program. But this led to a difficulty because what do you do for a remedy? Do you strike down the law that provides this benefit to biological mothers or adoptive parents, and then say nobody can get it, that strikes as unfair. So the court said there's flexibility. The court said, the Supreme Court of Canada said, look, when you find a law to be invalid, constitutionally in violation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, you can declare the law to be invalid immediately, strike it down, certainly, that's one option. You can also issue a temporary suspension of a declaration of invalidity. This is where you say, I find this law to be unconstitutional. I'm going to declare that this finding will take effect in one year. We'll talk about that more at the end of this lecture when we get to the Carter and Canada case. But the court said those aren't your only options. You can also read down a law so that it doesn't apply in the constitutionally inappropriate way, or if a law is under-inclusive, you can read something into the law that makes it adequately inclusive for charter purposes. Reading down is the equivalent of striking something out of a law. Reading in is the equivalent of adding words to a statute. Now, many people have a lot more difficulty with reading in than reading down. They say, look, I understand the idea that if you have a list of things and one of them is problematic, you could strike it out. Like, let's say there is a Residential Tenancy Act that said you can evict somebody for failure to pay rent, damage to the property, 
or because they are a same-sex couple? Well, it'd be very easy to just strike out the same-sex couple, leave the other two in, and, and move on. The idea that you're going to read something in, the legislature didn't say something, and you're going to read it into the legislation, is more controversial. But the Supreme Court said, well, you can actually think of them as two sides of the same coin. You can accomplish the same things by writing a statute, positively or negatively. You could say, everybody gets a benefit except for these people. You could also say, these are the groups that get a benefit and leave out a group. So to bring it back to the facts of Schachter, you could say, everybody can have unemployment benefits upon birth or adoption of a child, except for men. Or you can say mothers and adoptive parents can have employment benefits. You accomplish the same thing. You exclude men. In one case, you could just strike down one part of that law, the except men exception. In the other, you read men into the list of included groups. They accomplish the same thing. And so the court says, reading in and reading down are really two sides of the same coin. And so they say, reading in and reading down logically should have the same general principles apply to each circumstance. First principle, you have to respect the role of the legislature. Find out what the legislature's objective was and try to respect it. And in doing so, you want to make sure that you're not creating a scheme the legislature wouldn't have passed, adding a huge new group to a benefit scheme or hugely increasing spending. If that's the case, if you find something under-inclusive, it doesn't include men in this, in this example, you find something under-inclusive and you're concerned that the legislature wouldn't choose to enact this if it had included that group or it would be a huge expenditure and we just don't know what the consequences of that would be, then maybe it's not appropriate. But if you say, look, I'm fairly confident that if they had turned their mind to it, they would have included this group, or including this group is really going to be no significant change to the budget, then it may be appropriate to do a reading in or reading down remedy instead of the perhaps more active role of striking down the legislation, which could be fixed with a perhaps small tweak. Another principle is you want to respect the purpose of the charter, and you don't want to engage in what they say, equality with a vengeance, the idea that we're going to take it away from everybody so that you're all even. And that's sort of the dynamic here where, look, are we going to read the men into the group that can get this benefit, or are we going to take it away from everybody? The court does note, though, that reading in versus reading down, sometimes it can be very clear what you would need to read in to make a law constitutional. Sometimes it's not. Whereas it's always clear what section you'd want to strike out to read down a law to make it constitutional, if that's the situation you're in. It's not always clear that there's only one option for how to read something in. If that's the case, they say, look, respect the legislature. Don't impose on them a reading that they may not have chosen. They may have chosen a different approach which would have solved this problem. And indeed, in the Schachter case, the court said, I don't know exactly what the provision was for not including biological fathers here. 
And the group to be added, biological fathers, is way bigger than the existing group of adoptive parents that are in there. This could change the whole nature of the scheme. We don't know how expensive it's going to be if this benefit is all of a sudden available to biological fathers. And there may be other disadvantaged groups that might be deprived of benefits. And if you have scarce money to go around, maybe... You know, men is not the group that you're trying to spend that money on. And, and so there may be an entirely different decision as to how social welfare money is going to go if the current system is problematic because it discriminates against men. You, you may want to just rethink the whole thing and try to do a different distribution in a big way. So the court says, look, I can't just read men into this list. I don't know what the legislature would do. I don't know how expensive it's going to be. And I don't know if these social welfare dollars would be sort of rethought completely if the legislature were to do this, were to have a look at this. So we're not going to read in, in this case, we're not going to just say, let's read men into the list, biological parents, biological fathers, to the list of people who can get this unemployment benefit. Let's instead do a suspended declaration of invalidity. We'll touch on this again in the Carter case, but the idea here is that you say, my declaration that this law is unconstitutional will go into force in some period, a year. This gives the legislature time to come up with and pass a fix. And the the courts have recognized two situations where a suspended declaration of invalidity is appropriate. One is where immediately striking down a law would create a void a danger to the public or rule of law. You remember that case we talked about a few ca- a few classes back where effectively all the laws of Manitoba were suddenly unconstitutional. And the idea that you would create that kind of a void in the rule of law you know, simply doesn't make sense. And that's an appropriate place for a suspension of a declaration of invalidity. Another appropriate place is where you have this type of under-inclusive benefits legislation where it's not clear that you can just read in the under-included group. But if you were to strike down the whole thing, strike down the whole benefit scheme, that would be that equality with the vengeance that the court warned against. And as, as a bit of a postscript, so you get an idea how this might work, the, um, the parliament responded within the year provided by the court, and they did amend the legislation to include both biological parents but they lessened the amount of benefits allowed. So biological and adoptive parents now both got 10 weeks of benefits instead of 15. So not something that was the obvious and only solution to the equality problem. So we're not studying Schachter for the equality law. And indeed, I think that there would be probably some big problems with the Section 15 equality analysis from that case if it were to be rerun today. The Supreme Court of Canada in a case called CAP greatly limited the ability of traditionally advantaged groups, such as men, to challenge provisions extending benefits to traditionally disadvantaged groups on equality grounds. So don't worry about the question of, you know, men being deserving of paid unemployment benefits or not on birth of a child. Um, But this case is good for its discussion of remedies for the charter. And you want to think, okay, you have strike it down, strike it down, but suspend my declaration of invalidity. 
read down the law, that is, strike out the offending part of the law, or read something into the law. And as we move to the next case, we're going to see exactly that last option used. This is the Vrend case, which I touched on briefly before. And what you had there was the Alberta Human Rights Statute, the Individual Rights Protection Act, which prohibited discrimination on a list of grounds that did not include sexual orientation. So it said no discrimination on race, sex, religion, disability, but it didn't include sexual orientation. And the court concluded that this unjustifiably violated the right to equality under Section 15 of the Charter. To exclude sexual orientation from this list was a violation of equality. What remedy should be ordered? And the court decided, well, we're just going to read sexual orientation into this list. And they say the purpose of the legislature was to protect dignity by eliminating discriminatory practices. If we struck this thing down, that purpose would be undermined. You know, everybody's protection from discriminatory practices would be lessened. The court went on to reason that they didn't think the legislature would have preferred no protection to anyone to also protecting against sexual orientation discrimination. Now that, you know, that's questionable given the history of protection of sexual orientation by elected legislatures. I mean, it wasn't long ago that there was a United States presidential campaign where one of the candidates had a platform of a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage. But the court said, no, we, we can't imagine the legislature would prefer no protection to including protection for people based on sexual orientation. And so they're saying the result of taking away from everybody would be contrary to the deeper social purpose of the charter. This would be that equality with a vengeance. And they say, the words to read in here are clear and obvious. This isn't like Schachter, where there is money at issue and multiple different ways you could go about extending a benefit, you know, decreasing from 15 weeks to 10 weeks to get around the budget constraints in order to include this group. So they say this is not like Schachter. This is a case where it is appropriate to read something into the legislation. Then they say, well, what about, what about if the exclusion was a deliberate choice? Does that make the reading in inappropriate? And the court says, no, even if the legislature deliberately chose to not include this group, we're going to assume that they would not have made the same choice if they knew it was unconstitutional. Well, then another objection, is this undemocratic? And the court says, no, it's not. Democracy, and this is an important concept, is not just about majority rule. Protection of minorities is a democratic aim, a democratic goal. And furthermore, they say, there can always be a dialogue. If the legislature wants to come back and amend the law to explicitly not include protection on the basis of sexual orientation and include a Section 33 override, they could do that. They could say, notwithstanding equality, we're protecting everybody except for people who are discriminated against on the basis of sexual orientation. You could also decide not to protect anybody. So there's a dialogue, there's a role for the legislature to respond to this decision. And so the court says we are not overstepping our democratic bounds. This isn't the final say. There's still things the legislature can do. But we think just reading this in is in fact a more respectful and more limited remedy than would be striking the law down. 
And there was a dissent from Justice Major. He says, I, I would have suspended the declaration for one year. But the Vrend case is the case you want to have in mind for this idea of reading in. The idea that if you have a social benefit that's provided through legislation and a group is not included in that benefit, it may be possible for the court to simply read that group into the legislation rather than striking down the legislation. So that is the discussion of what you can do when you have a law that violates the charter or a section of a law that violates the charter. Strike it down, strike it down with a suspended declaration, read something out of the law that is in effect, strike out one part of the law, one part of the offending section, or read something into the law to preserve its constitutionality. The next topic in this remedies discussion is section 24.1 of the Charter. Section 24.1 of the Charter provides this general jurisdiction to a court of competent jurisdiction, that's been read fairly broadly, to obtain such remedy as the court considers appropriate and just in the circumstances. Early case, the Supreme Court of Canada said, I almost can't imagine a wider discretion in any language than that. Any remedy the court considers appropriate and just in the circumstances. And the court has said that we're looking for remedies here that meaningfully vindicate the rights of claimants. An employee means that are legitimate in our constitutional democracy is a judicial remedy that invokes the function and power of a court and is fair to the party against whom the order is made. Some examples, we talked about the Insight case where there is a question of a supervised injection site and the question of whether the supervised injection site should have an exception from a provision of the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. And under Section 24.1, the court ordered that the exception be afforded, an equitable order of mandamus. We saw in the Doucette-Boudreau case the idea that the government needs to report on progress in remedying a charter breach. That was also a 24-1 remedy. You can also order an exemption from a law. If you have a suspended declaration of invalidity, sometimes there are people who have a pressing and urgent problem, and they may be exempt from that law during the declaration of invalidity. A final option that is available is damages, monetary damages for a charter violation. And the leading case on that is a case called Vancouver and Ward. And this is an interesting case where a, a man was subject to a illegal strip search. And very unfortunately for the police, the person they illegally strip searched happened to be a leading charter rights lawyer. So he sued. He wasn't charged with any case, with any crime after the strip search. And so he sued just on the basis of his charter rights having been violated. And the court granted damages indeed. They found that charter damages will be justified if they're required to compensate the claimant for a loss and suffering caused by a breach, to vindicate the rights of a claimant, or to deter state actors from committing further future breaches. However, the state can respond by showing if there's alternative remedies that would be sufficient to accomplish a vindication and deterrence, like a tort action, then charter damages may not be appropriate. 
And also, if there are concerns about good governance, that is, public officials would be deterred from carrying out statutory duties in good faith because they'd be worried their activities would later be declared unconstitutional, this can also be a justification for limiting charter damages. They say the goal would be to give a monetary sum if charter damages are appropriate that would compensate as in tort, that is, restore the victim to where they would have been but for the loss, but for the charter breach, and to vindicate and deter future breaches. In this case, the award was a rather meager $5,000. The court noted that the strip search was inherently humiliating, but it was relatively brief and not extremely disrespectful, and the officers did not engage in a malicious or high-handed or oppressive conduct. But what you want to think is that most charter litigation gets to the courts in the criminal context. Someone's charged with a crime and alleges that their charter rights were violated in connection with that. If people are not charged with a crime, or if charges are dropped, then usually the constitutional question of whether the state behaved in an inappropriate way doesn't get answered. And the importance of this Ward case is it says, in cases where there's been unconstitutional conduct, and it's otherwise immune from judicial review, you can bring an action for damages, even just on the basis of the charter. And furthermore, while the actual money given here was relatively meager, if there is repeated conduct, then the court is going to say, well, we gave you a slap on the wrist before, but that clearly didn't work. Deterrence is going to require increased damages. So there's an expectation that this will be sufficient, but if it's not met, if it's not in fact sufficient because this type of conduct keeps happening, there's an ability for the courts to dramatically increase the awards. And indeed, we have seen in Ontario some escalating charter damages awards, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 being awarded after repeated breaches. So the tool of charter damages as a means to compensate and maybe more importantly to deter unconstitutional state conduct is real and maybe growing in importance. So the final case we have is the Carter in Canada. So this is the law, the case where the assisted suicide prohibition was struck down. And this is a difficult case for remedy because if you're striking down a component of the homicide law that bars medical assistance in suicide, and then you are giving guidance in your reasons as to what the minimum amount of medical assistance in dying the Constitution requires is, you are playing with the absolute highest of stakes. If you are to, as a doctor, read the decision and say, okay, I understand that when someone has a reasonably foreseeable death and they're grievously ill, I can assist them in dying. And then you were to misunderstand that and help somebody who the court found was not adequately close to dying or this person had a not adequately grievous condition, you could be subject to homicide. I mean, the most serious penalty there is. So a fascinating case for remedy. And what the courts did was they struck down the law with a declaration of invalidity that was delayed for 12 months. The question came up of whether constitutional exemptions ought to be available in the meantime. So 
during this 12-month period, should people be able to apply to a judge for a determination as to whether they should be allowed an exception from the unconstitutional but still in force ban on medical assistance in dying? And the courts initially said no, but then there was a change in government and the new government came in and said, well, we've got like, like two months left or something like that before this declaration of invalidity comes into effect and the assisted suicide laws are just struck down. So they say to the court, can we extend that period of a declaration of invalidity? And the court grants it. They say, okay, we'll give you four more months to figure something out. However, they say, in the meantime, people can apply to superior court judges for individual exemptions if they would like to use medical assistance in dying before the new regime comes in. This was a very strange period where judges were you know, literally hearing these applications by people who wanted leave to die. And it was a, a heavy thing for the judges to deal with. So you want to take away from Carter, this is another example of where you'll have that suspended declaration. They say, we're not going to just take away the entire assisted suicide regulation and regime now at once. We're going to give you a chance to change it. But they said, if it's going to take a long time, we're going to start to give one-off exemptions to people who can come to court. Now, this is not without its criticism because there's a potential unfairness where better resourced individuals are able to get this exemption, whereas less well-off people are not, not able to afford to go to court. And of course, these are very ill people. But the court didn't like that approach. They didn't initially say exemptions were appropriate, but once it was getting on past a year, you know, 16 months, they said, at this point, we're going to start granting these exemptions. So that's going to conclude our remedies component of lecture six and indeed conclude lecture six altogether. You want to think about with remedies, think about there are remedies that are available in relation to the legislation itself, striking it down, striking it down with a suspension of a declaration, reading down or reading in. And then there are these remedies under section 24.1, ordering the government to do something, giving charter damages, giving an individual an exemption from the application of a law. And you have to remember too, section 24.1 is broad. While there haven't been an endless number of remedies that have been ordered under that section, there's room for creativity. And if you have a case where your client needs something that hasn't been done before, and there's a charter issue at play, you, you may well indeed want to argue for something novel under that provision. So that concludes our introduction to the charter. During the next class, we're going to get into the application of the charter by looking at three of the key sections, section two, section seven, and section 15. And in the context of doing that, we will spend quite a bit of time reviewing section one and the Oaks test, as well as touching on issues of remedy.